The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. You know you're a Utahn when you have a Lake Powell memory. The Red Rock Reservoir on the Arizona border is a favorite destination for Salt Lakers, and duh, it's gorgeous. But here's the problem. The mighty Colorado River is in crisis, and it's knocking at the federal government's door with a very uncomfortable question. Do we need to drain Lake Powell? It's Monday, October 2nd. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Luke Runyon, you are the co-director of The Water Desk, an all-water-all-the-time reporting project at the University of Colorado. And you and I are here today to talk about the Colorado River, which I'm told I should be very worried about. But I got to tell you, I know Salt Lake gets most of our water from snow melt in the Wasatch Mountains. So why should we be invested in the fate of the mighty Colorado? Well, even areas that you might not think as reliant on the Colorado River, like the Wasatch Front or the Front Range of Colorado or the greater Los Angeles metro area, are incredibly reliant on the Colorado River and its tributaries for drinking water supply. So even though, you know, the Salt Lake area and the broader metro area around it aren't right next to the Colorado River or aren't even actually in the Colorado River watershed, you guys are drinking Colorado River water some of the time, depending on where you are in that area. Wow. Okay. That makes me kind of angry because... (laughs) In Salt Lake, we're very stressed about the fate of the Great Salt Lake, and I'm not sure that we have the bandwidth for another (laughs) water crisis. Yeah, welcome to the West. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Well, can you give me the skinny on the crisis at the Colorado River? Sure. So the Colorado River supplies water to about 40 million people across seven U.S. states, two states in Mexico, and 30 federally recognized tribes in the Southwest. And... The crisis on the Colorado really boils down to we don't have enough water to meet everyone's needs in the Southwest. The river basin has basically been overprescribed from the very beginning, from the moment that we first started managing the Colorado River in 1922. We put more water on paper in the form of water rights than the river was ever going to be able to provide in actual water. Um, And so over the last hundred years, we've built out a tremendous plumbing system to make life in the arid west possible that taps into the Colorado River. So we were going to have a problem no matter what, because there was more water on paper than wet water in the river. Climate change now is speeding up the crisis. It's forcing us to confront things that were maybe a little further off in in the future. Um, And you know, warming temperatures in the West are reducing water supplies, really hitting the Colorado River particularly hard, reducing its flows, increasing the evaporation on its large reservoirs. And so basically the situation that we're in right now is 
you know, we have two massive reservoirs, the largest in the country that sit on the Colorado River, and they're both less than half full, some less than a third full. So this is really a, an issue that the entire region is having to confront now. How do we go about learning to live with less water? Yeah, we've made promises we can't keep. <laughs> mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about the idea to drain Lake Powell, because when I have even mentioned it to friends in Salt Lake who like to recreate there, the reaction has been pretty dramatic. But before we get into that, I think we have to set up some of the characters. Because again, in Salt Lake City, I think we feel ourselves quite removed from this crisis for whatever reason. So in a sort of like the thigh bones connected to the hip bone kind of way, can you explain what the Colorado River, Lake Powell, Lake Mead, and Glen Canyon Dam have to do with one another and where they are? Sure, yeah. So the Colorado River starts, you know, its headwaters are here in Colorado, where I live. High up in Rocky Mountain National Park, the river then flows down through the mountains into Utah. Uh, it meets mm -hmm. the Green River in Canyonlands National Park. They flow down through Canyonlands and start to enter Lake Powell. Massive dam on Lake Powell called Glen Canyon Dam. It was built in the 1960s. Uh, Lake Powell is essentially like just a massive bucket of water that was built in order to deliver water further downstream. This kind of gets into the whole governance of the Colorado River. You have an upper basin and a lower basin. The upper basin is on the hook to deliver a certain amount of water to the lower basin states on a rolling 10-year average. Uh, and Lake Powell was essentially built so that those upstream states could deliver that water downstream. The river then flows through the Grand Canyon after Glen Canyon Dam, where it meets Lake Mead, just outside of Las Vegas, massive, massive reservoir, the largest one in the United States. Hoover Dam creates Lake Mead. Uh, the river then flows downstream of Hoover Dam and eventually meets the, the U.S.-Mexico border. And the last of it is used for agriculture and, and municipal use in Mexico. Got it. Okay. And we know Lake Powell is very low. And we know Lake Mead is very low because we've almost certainly heard the stories of bodies being found there in Nevada. So, okay, so I get this email from a think tank called the Center for Western Priorities a couple weeks ago. And the subject line is, it's time to talk about draining Lake Powell. Why is this idea suddenly gaining traction? It has for a long time been pretty fringe. Yeah, this idea has been, I guess, kind of on the wish list of environmentalists in the West ever since Glen Canyon Dam was first created. And actually, the dam's construction is credited with sparking some of the modern environmental movement in the, the late 1950s huh. and early 1960s. Uh, but the reason why you're hearing about it now and why it's sort of entered more of a, the mainstream consciousness is because the federal government is going through a process to rethink, completely rethink how we manage the Colorado River. Um, the current guidelines for the river's management were passed in 2007, and they were supposed to last for 20 years and were getting very close to that 20-year anniversary. And uh, the federal government has put this charge to the states that rely on the Colorado River to be thinking about how they want to manage this river into the future. You know, in 2007, those guidelines 
didn't really take into account climate change and this kind of dramatic reduction in water supply. And so it's going to be a huge paradigm shift for how the river is managed. And when the federal government put this charge out to everyone, you get all sorts of people who come out of the woodwork and say, here's my dream scenario for the Colorado River's management. And that's what you're seeing. Um, You know, this is really giving an opportunity to folks who have been wanting this idea of draining Lake Powell to enter into the conversation and are putting out comments and news articles and press releases, uh, trying to make sure that this is one element of that much broader set of negotiations that are about to take place. Hmm. And sending me emails. Okay. (laughs) So what is the case for it and what would it look like to drain Lake Powell? Well, it depends on who you talk to, but in its simplest form, it would mean moving the water from Lake Powell downstream to Lake Mead. Uh, You basically have two massive reservoirs that are less than half full. The thinking here is, why don't we just have one massive reservoir that's mostly full and not two mostly empty reservoirs? That's kind of the simple version. If you dig down a little further, it would be very complicated to do this. Mm. So you have Glen Canyon Dam. It does have a few different elevations within the reservoir. So one is one that people call power pool. So you drop further down, you lose the ability to to generate hydropower. Below that, you have something called dead pool. And that's where you essentially can't physically move water through the dam. Now, Glen Canyon Dam has infrastructure to pass water below the dam, these like bypass tunnels, but they were never engineered to carry a really large amount of water. And they would need to be re-engineered in order for this scenario to take place. If you actually want to talk about draining Lake Powell and bypassing Glen Canyon Dam, you would need to re-engineer parts of the dam in order to make that happen. You would also lose the ability to generate hydropower altogether because, you know, you're basically just passing the water through the system. When you have a massive reservoir and you can pressurize that water through turbines, you can generate hydroelectric power. If you were to lose the reservoir, you're going to lose the ability to generate a lot of hydroelectricity. Um, And then you've got like the recreation economy around Lake Powell as well. You know, there's communities that have sprung up around Lake Powell that rely really heavily on houseboaters and motorboaters coming in to spend, you know, weeks on end over the summertime at Lake Powell. You would lose that as well. Um, And so it's, it's an idea that the environmental community has rallied behind and it would, in practice, it would be a big change for this region of the country. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, 
Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. Visit embodiedpatience.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants. But the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments. So if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. And they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. What is the case for it? Like, because if we don't have enough water in the first place, does redistributing the water really make that big of an impact? It can. You know, there have been some studies that have looked at evaporation across these two large reservoirs. And do you lose less water if you have it all stored in one large reservoir versus, you know, storing it across two different reservoirs? We don't have time to go into all of the different like drain Lake Powell (laughs) studies right now. I think the argument has been more from the heart than anything else. It's saying, you know, When Lake Powell was built, it flooded what's called Glen Canyon. And Glen Canyon was this amazingly beautiful landscape that had tons of wildlife and these amazing little side canyons that come off the Colorado River. And, you know, it's just as beautiful as the Grand Canyon or Canyonlands National Park. And these environmental advocates say, why not restore that? Why not bring back that landscape that was essentially drowned underneath Lake Powell for so many decades? That's really where a lot of the argument is coming from, is is more from the heart of like, this place has a value beyond just water storage. It has intrinsic value as an amazingly beautiful ecosystem. Well, I listened to your podcast, it's called Thirst Gap, and in it, you make this comment, which is, to some, Lake Powell embodies everything wrong with the West's relationship to water. What do you mean by that? It has, you know, it's this very kind of charged symbol in the West, Mm -hmm. this idea that, you know, we've become very, very reliant on the Colorado River. And for most of the history of the West, the story of the West is about wrestling the Colorado River to the ground in order to meet human needs, whether that's for agriculture or municipal drinking water or for industry. You know, this river is really a lifeline for most major cities, most large agricultural areas in the Southwest. And I think as we were building out that infrastructure to some people, that was wrong, you know, that we were trying to exert so much tremendous control over this wild natural river system. 
and really the you know Glen Canyon Dam because it's relatively young you know it was built in the 1960s I think for a lot of people it still is embedded in their minds because they remember seeing it being built or remember the conversations around its construction um, and think it you know just kind of stands as this symbol of what did we do why did we feel like we could control this river system yeah but the problem is that at this point, like, we've done it, right? And, I mean, Lake Powell's not just a tourist destination. Glen Canyon supplies water, as you mentioned, and hydroelectricity to millions of people. So if we decommission the dam, is that cutting off the supply? Like, how does that impact all of the people who rely on that? I mean, that's the conundrum. You know, this is really the hard question and the hard conversation that the entire region is having right now is once you've created a tremendous demand for water, whether that's in the form of agriculture or large cities, how do you actually go about reducing that demand without making people feel economic pain um, in the process? Yeah. Like, how do you go about reducing your demand for water without, you know, decimating rural communities or urban centers? And that's kind of an unanswered question at this point. The region is grappling with how to do that in real time, yeah. um, you know, really because these the supply of water on the Colorado River is shrinking, the entire region and its leaders, both at the federal, state and local levels, everyone's trying to figure out how do you go about learning to live with less. And it's a, it's a really difficult conversation to be having. Well, I imagine as we're starting to hear activists and advocates talk more about the idea of draining Lake Powell, soon we're going to start to hear from Utah political leaders their thoughts on this idea, if they feel that it's also gaining traction. And I'm anticipating the conversation will be around economic development, like not just tourism, but also housing in the region. I mean, you look nearby like St. George, one of the fastest growing places in the country. Do we have a sense of how this idea will impact economic development? I mean, there's no denying that some of the communities around Lake Powell, you know, just based on the recreation economy, would have to figure out a new economic base if Lake Powell were to go away. Say you go out into the future, Lake Powell is no more, there's Glen Canyon National Park. You could have a recreation-based economy around hmm. um, a Glen Canyon National Park, but that would take a really long time to actually come to fruition and whether or not those communities could actually make that transition is to be determined. Yeah. And on the, you know, the like water use side of things, you know, there's a long standing project that's been in talks for decades called the Lake Powell pipeline that would build a, <laughs> build a yeah. pipeline from Lake Powell to communities in the St. George area if Lake Powell is no more, then what happens to the Lake Powell pipeline? Uh, that becomes a very uh, tenuous discussion as well. Um, and so, yeah, it would it would be a loss of stored water for a portion of the Southwest. No doubt about it. Yeah. Though in the past few years, it does feel like a lot of those communities that rely on those recreation dollars are already having to grapple with this because Lake Powell is kind of draining itself. No, and that's absolutely right. Uh, so we went through essentially three back-to-back drier-than-normal winters in the Rocky Mountains, which translates to less water in the Colorado River. And starting from 2020 to 2021 to 2022, 
Lake Powell took huge hits. It hit a historic low earlier this year before it started to rise from the the wet winter that we had. And when you have a reservoir that's declining, especially one that's built in a canyon, some of these boat ramps were just going off of a cliff. Like you weren't able to keep extending boat ramps when the water level is too low. And there was a, a point where there were basically only two maybe even one usable boat ramp in all of Lake Powell, which is, you know, massive reservoir. And so it was, you know, some of the marinas and areas around Lake Powell were already taking an economic hit because you basically were funneling tons of people into one area where you could actually launch a boat and have a usable marina at at Lake Powell. And then that's a direct result of its decline. Well, this is a big idea. And I mean, I'm very interested to see how this conversation evolves. I do want to ask you, how likely do you think we are to see the idea of draining Lake Powell in the federal government's 2026 management plan for the Colorado River? For it to show up in the like official documents that the, you know, the feds are putting together, I think would be a pretty big leap. Now, for this to be something that they're considering, I think that's really what the environmental community is asking for right now is not necessarily saying, you know, this needs to happen next year. They're saying this is something that if you just look at the models that the Colorado River runs under and the forecast, this is something that if you're trying to be a prudent water manager on the Colorado River, you should be thinking about a future where Lake Powell is taking so many hits in in terms of its water level that it would be it would be foolish not to look at this as an alternative way to manage the Colorado River. And so do I think that this is going to be something that people are going to be talking about a lot over the next three years as these negotiations take place and that this new management plan for the Colorado River takes shape? Absolutely. Is it going to happen in the next three years? Probably not. Luke Runyon, co-director of The Water Desk, an all-water, all-the-time reporting project at the University of Colorado Boulder. Thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot from you today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'll admit that until recently, I knew very little about the Colorado River. But if you're like me and want to become a quick study, I recommend listening to Luke's six-part podcast. It's called Thirst Gap. Each episode is about 30 minutes, and it takes you on a tour de history and modern-day crises on the river. I linked it in the show notes, or you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts by searching Thirst Gap. And hey, by the way, happy new water year. October 1st was the first day of Utah's water year, which means we started counting yesterday. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.